um, what can be a, a joyous and wonderful and festive time, uh, but oftentimes uh, it's a time that's also um, mixed with, uh, you know, with, with pressures that we don't have other times of the year. So I think it's important that we acknowledge that and, um, and you know, and don't expect ourselves to just jump right back into to normalcy in everyday life because uh, that's just putting more stress uh, on yourself, you know, because the calendar is an artificial thing. You know, honor how you are feeling inside, so anyway, that said, um, we are, uh, you know, now dipping our toe into uh, 2018, uh, a year that many of us hope uh, is going to be the beginning of good things, uh, of the change that we want to make in the world. And I'm I'm so pleased to have with me tonight uh, Leah Lafleur. Um, she is returning to the show. Uh, she was last on the show just after uh, the Democratic National Convention, and she reported back on her firsthand account of what she witnessed happening there. And uh, tonight, uh, it's wonderful to be talking to her again. Uh, but this time, uh, we're going to talk about magical activism and and what that means. And you know, it means a lot of things. Um, it it can mean uh, reconciling our spirituality and politics. Um, you know, the official topic is magical activism. Spiritual and goddess-oriented people um, should lead the moral agenda, and we're going to talk about that, you know, that subtitle. Um, you know, uh, maybe people who are into goddess, sacred feminine theology um, uh, trying to lead the way. Among other things we'll discuss tonight is how Leah bridged the divide in her own community. Um, you know, what an undertaking. Um, you know, we're going to hear that wisdom. Uh, she'll offer tips on how we can come together and collaborate, as well as ponder how to create the new political landscape and world we all know that we so desperately need. Um, you know, we're not going to pull any punches tonight. We're going to talk about uh, what might be tough subjects for some folks, uh, maybe controversial stuff, uh, if that's where the conversation takes us. Because, you know, <clears throat> we don't do ourselves any favors uh, by not shedding light on uh, difficult topics. Um, so uh, we're going to try to move forward in a meaningful way and, um, you know, uh, not just continue uh, with business as usual. So uh, I'm so glad that uh, you're with me tonight. And I'm glad that uh, Leah is with me. And uh, so I, I'll just uh, say, Leah, welcome back to Voices of the Sacred Feminine. Thank you so much, Karen. I appreciate being here tonight. It's great talking with you. Um, so why don't uh, you tell us a little bit about yourself, and then, um, you know, we can sort of slide into uh, what you mean by magical activism. Sure. Um, well, uh, I've been Wiccan for about 30 years, and I've been a Wiccan priestess for about the last 15. Um, I'm originally from Michigan, and I'm currently a resident of Portland, Oregon, since 2001. Um, in my day job, I'm a patent agent helping inventors get patents. Um, but in my passion work, I'm a grassroots activist um, in the Bernie Sanders movement here in Portland. Um, 
that led me to uh, become elected as a Bernie delegate to Philadelphia in 2016. Um, and through Bernie's call for people to get involved, um, I joined the Democratic Party of Oregon and I'm currently the chair of the Congressional District 3 Committee, um, which uh, interacts with our federal representative, Earl Blumenauer. So that's a little bit about me. Well, you're you're wearing a lot of hats there and uh you know, doing a lot of good out there. Um so Leah, what um for somebody who's kinda maybe scratching their head and they're not sure, um, how do you define magical activism? Well, I guess I would uh break it down into its two parts. Um where I would say magic is um the uh, manifesting of intention, um, so setting intention and putting energy towards creation. And then activism is working towards um, what I would consider uh, an activist goal, like things that we can do to change the world for the better. So magical activism would be the marrying of the intention of creating a better and more positive world um, with uh, action and uh, both, both in a magical way and in an activist um, community kind of way. Okay. And I know you mentioned something about uh, when we were talking about scheduling the show that um, you had attended a wonderful Samhain ritual in Portland uh, with a magical activism theme. Um, it, it, but that theme could be used at any time, uh, you know, not just around Samhain, I, I, I believe. Um, did you want to say a little bit about, um, you know, how that uh, ritual was was structured or what the intention of that was? Sure. Um, yes, I would say that, that the ritual um, was good for Samhain, but really could be done at any time. Um, it was described as a hex ritual, which I don't necessarily um, work on that principle, but um, I would say that uh, more it was a um, instead of a, a creation of a negative thing, it was more acknowledgement of the negative things that are going on and then putting energy into the destruction of them. Um, so one of the things that we had done uh, in the ritual um, was to um, shout out things that we wanted to see changed and to mourn them, um, to, to call out um, the un unfairness of the criminal justice system um, of how the um, our government is not really helping the people the, the way it needs to, to put energy into all of those things, um, uh, which we then, um, the energy we put into um, uh, um, a pomegranate uh, that we then uh, wrapped in the bag, a, a paper bag, and put into the fire um, and burned that. So it was the investment, the magical energy of all of the things we didn't want and then a transformation through the expression of fire to release um, and to transform uh, these things that we would like to overcome uh, through magical energy and activism. So you were letting those things die or even in a way killing them off, the things that don't serve us anymore, and then inviting in uh, the, the more positive aspects to fill the void. 
Yep, yep. After the bag was burned, then it was calling in all of the things that we needed, that we wanted to raise energy towards. But in order to hold space for these things, we needed to do this transformative work to just to call out to say the names of all of the oppressive things that are happening in the world, in our lives, that we really just want to overcome things that we often find so disabling that we can't even name. Um, so it was very powerful to be able to speak them and then to burn them so that we could then hold space for all of the positive things that could fill that. And I think some of those things you told me were uh, voter disenfranchisement, lack of affordable health care, uh, uh, policies around exploiting our natural resources, uh, you know, their extraction and their use, um, how money is speech and corporations are people. So all of those different things were the things yeah. uh, that you sort of um, – um, put you know, put in the bag with the pomegranate and sent it on its way. Yes, absolutely. And these are things that you know we can work on both energetically and magically, but also legislatively. These are things that we definitely need to be putting more energy into legislatively if we do want to make any meaningful changes in them. And, you know, I think that's an important point because, um, you know, oftentimes I think some of us in the magical community, um, we put all of our energy into our magic at our altar. Um, you know, I'm, uh, I, I so often say, uh, you know, use the analogy, uh, if we need a job, we do magic at our altar, but we forget to send out the resumes and go on the interviews. Um, so it, it, it's important to stress that you're talking about do the magic at your altar, do the magic in your rituals, you know, as a solitary, as a group, but then you also have to go out in the world and, uh, you know, and beat the pavement, so to speak, uh, with all the different ways that are available to us to uh, help be a part of the change in, in, in the real Absolutely. world. Uh, well, yes, and, and um, so, uh, go, no, go, go ahead. I, I wasn't, uh, yeah. Uh, so one of the things I would say about that is that um, it is important that we do our spiritual practice in activism. It is important that we do our letters letters to the editor. It's important that we, you know, join grassroots organizations or nonprofits that support an, um, an idea that we get behind or to run for office or to become engaged politically. And it's important that all of those things get done, but it's not necessarily important that each one of us do all of them, to not feel overwhelmed in all of the responsibilities, but to find the things that work for you and to focus on those and to if you can integrate into your spiritual practice these activist things, but to also, yes, choose your activist outlet one, the one that works best for you, that makes you feel most empowered, most generative in your experience, and to let the magical energy that grows from that um, grow and expand even more. And and I think uh, it's, it's probably worth mentioning <clears throat> that, um, you know, whether you're marching in the street or you're a very visible in some way, um, 
you know, other things that we do uh, a little bit more anonymously, you know, those things are just as valuable as well. You know, we might not be able to do the visible things, but um, the non-visible things, uh, I'm not talking magically, you know, I'm talking things that we can do from our computer, uh, like you said, letter writing, um, calling our Congress people. Uh, those are things we can easily do from our home and, you know, never, uh, you know, never leave our house. Uh, but right. uh, make a know, financial donation. There you go. There you go. Twenty-seven dollars. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so and now, uh, you know, we sort we said the subtitle of tonight's um, show. Uh, it, you know, it, it was magical activism, but the subtitle is "Spiritual and Goddess-Oriented People Should Lead the Moral Agenda." Um, and and do you believe that um, you know, sort of the moral high ground? I believe has been sort of hijacked by the religious right. Um, do you want to talk about that a little bit, and you know why it maybe should be us with a uh, you know with with a bigger bully pulpit than the religious right? Absolutely. You know, I think that I definitely would say that the moral authority in the United States has been hijacked by the religious right. The idea of what that is, um, but unfortunately, what that means is. You know, it is ignoring the reauthorization of federal financial aid to health care programs for children. It's cutting food aid. It's inadequately funding the Veterans Administration. It's an overly punitive criminal justice system. And when it's expressing religion in the government, it's using the idea of religious freedom to allow people to use this religion to discriminate. Um, and none of these ideas are supported by the values of Christianity or of Jesus Christ. I think that in order for these, the values of caring for people and our ecosystem to be re-injected into our legislative system, that people who believe the earth is our mother and we must take care of her need to stand up and need to be counted and need to make their voices heard. It's easy to feel disenfranchised in the political system. But when we stand together, we are able to make a much louder noise than any of us could make individually. And I think that because moral authority has been so abdicated in this country, it's time for people of conscience, people of integrity, people who want to put people over profits, people who value healthy ecosystems and the environment to stand up and to to take action and to do something different. And, and you know, uh, I, I have to say, and, um, you know, we've talked about politics. So, you know, it's, I've talked w about politics with so many different people on the show. You know, if, if my listeners are hearing this for the umpteenth time, um, you know, I apologize. But I get so tired of people not connecting their spirituality and their politics. And I, I just want to say it again because I think it's so important. You know, we have folks who... Um, you know, say they're goddess advocates or say they care about the environment, but then they don't act in ways that um, 
uh, you know, we don't walk our talk, you know. Uh, we'll mm-hmm. maybe vote for people who um, aren't protecting women's rights or the environment or uh, or care about the common good. And, you know, it, and I know politics can uh, maybe be a turnoff for people, but it might have been Marianne Williamson, and I could have that wrong. Um, I, it might have been her that said, you know, politics is sacred. And before you raise your eyebrow and doubt that, uh, think of it like this. You know, um, politics should reflect our morality, and our morality should reflect our spirituality, and that's what makes it sacred. So for us to have a disconnect between our spirituality and our politics, I mean, that's just not um, uh, it, 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 that that's not a good balance. It, it, it's not using critical thinking. It, it's not walking our talk. Would you agree, Leah? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I think that a lot of a lot of people who are goddess spiritualist or nature oriented practitioners or just spiritual people in general, but not necessarily associated in a Christian kind of way, feel. Um, more like they can't necessarily speak up because people aren't going to validate the kinds of things that they have to say. So I think that there's a lot of of people who are feeling kind of conservative about expressing themselves politically and religiously at the same time. Additionally, I would say there's a lot of people who don't want to express themselves politically at all. So that really adds to the... um, inability to have these conversations when we can't both topics make us equally uncomfortable and to to put ourselves out there you know there's there's all of us individually it's kind of like um when we were pagans before the internet and we were solitary (laughs) practitioners and we could only find each other through you know circle sanctuary you know network news and other kind of paper publications, you know, we're kind of in a similar space now where there are people around who are doing something, but as the network or as the internet, you know, drew people together in larger pagan communities, I think it's also on the cusp of drawing people together in this larger way. I don't think it's quite there yet, but I think that, that we're, we're on the edge of something that's going to happen. It just feels imminent. Yes, yes. Well, and, and I mean, and let's be, you know, brutally honest. The last election was brutal, you know, mm. um, whether whether you were on the left or the right. Um, I mean, the left, uh, you know, we had our we had our factions, and that left a lot of us with scars as we fought each other. And uh, and and then you know the left and and the right also had their battle going on, and I'm sure there were probably uh, well, I mean I know there were factions within the right. Um, so yeah, uh, sometimes you want to just go bury your head in the sand, and the last thing you want to talk about is politics. But um, it's almost you know it's almost our responsibility and our obligation to try to find a way, and and you uh, have managed to. Um, to bridge a divide in your community. Do you, do you want to talk a little bit about what that divide was and how you managed to bring the two uh, two different sides together? Um, 
Can you give me a little bit more? I'm sorry. Uh, well, well, you said that. Um, oh, I, I, I wish I had written down the specifics. There, there was some sort of, there was some sort of kerfuffle, I think, in, uh, you know, between conservatives and liberals in your community, and uh, I think, it, or maybe it was in the, it, it, within the party, and you came in and you got the two sides to listen to one another at least. Um, does that sound familiar? Or maybe it will before we um, b- before we finish our our conversation. <laughs> maybe. Are you are you you're still you're still drawing a blank on that? Yep, I am. Um, I definitely have been working within my community, uh, within the Democratic Party of Oregon um, community, um, to to bring together uh, the people who party because of Bernie Sanders and the people who had been there before, um, many of them who were um, interested in the candidacy of of Hillary Clinton. You know, I think that was what you were talking about. I think that was it. And I just, you know, I just languaged it differently. So that's what what I meant. So why don't you tell us about that? So it's trying to find the the places where we come together that's really the places where we can hear each other the most um for the most part we all want the same thing generally um we would like for there to be um, greater access for people to have to health care so that they can get their basic needs met um, we would like people to be closer to having um, a living wage um, is the answer to health care um, single care or is it um, a public option? You know, that just depends on if you're a Bernie or a Hillary. Um, is the answer to um, a livable wage um, $15 an hour or $12 an hour? You know, that again is kind of the, the dividing line. But when we can come together to truly see the things that are at the core of our our agreement, then moving forward comes so much easier. Um, I think that it's important that we all work as much as we can from the same script so that we can everything, as many things as we can, um, enacted legislatively. A lot of that has to do, you know, not only with what gets proposed, but building coalitions um, between people to make those kinds of things happen. Um, but that to be true to our integrity means to be able to have conversations with people all along the spectrum, to hear what they're saying, and hopefully speak in such a way that they can hear us as well. Yeah, and and I mean, um, it, it's easier said than done, you know, quite frankly. Uh, and and I, I mean, I realize that, and. Um, it, but we have to manage and, uh, you know, rather than stay fractured. And, you know, I've been thinking a lot about the disconnects between people, especially when um, we know so many of us really do want the same things, but we let ourselves get divided and it becomes impossible, uh, it seems, to collaborate and to come together in solidarity. I mean, uh, like right now, for instance, I'll be honest, I'm still mad with the DNC, you know, um, I, I used to be a supporter, but 
you know, just too, I've seen too much now, and uh, it's, it's hard for me to get uh, behind the DNC. But I realize that as long as we only have a two-party system, we don't have much choice but to get behind the DNC and then maybe change the DNC from within, um, because I think a third party uh, is, is uh, probably uh, further down the line. Uh, I mean, we, we can't afford to wait that long. Um, you know, for a third party to come into power and uh, and have enough power uh, to make the change. You know, I, I think we have to, uh, you know, to, to, you know, put the Democrats back in office and, uh, you know, see what, what we can manage to um, um, negotiate with them, uh, you know, in order to... Um, you know, bring more progressive ideas that benefit the people and not corporations, um, uh, you know, uh, you know, more in the way we do uh, business and government. Um, it, it, so, so my point is, I guess, um, you know, we all have to learn to compromise, you know. Um, I've been thinking about, too, you know, uh, so much was in the news after uh, the, the Roy Moore uh, Senate election in Alabama. So much was made about, it. you know, white women were voting for Roy and black women were voting for the Democrat. And, you know, it, I know on social media it was hard for some people to talk about the idea that uh, it's oftentimes white women or white Christian women who are helping to prop up uh, groups like uh, the KKK or, um, you know, white nationalism or, uh, I don't know, slavery or, you know, mm-hmm. they're, or, or they're complicit in their own oppression when it comes to women's rights. And you know, I had a woman say to me, well, you know, are you trying to make me feel guilty for being white? And I said, no, you know, of course I'm not trying to make you feel guilty for being white, but we do have to look at um, why that why that could be, you know, um, and, and how do we, uh, you know, how do we maybe have a dialogue with these women and examine you know, why they would vote for somebody like Roy Moore rather than a Democrat, you know, what, what could, you know, what would really be their motivation to side with someone so egregious uh, as Roy Moore, you know, and it, 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 but it was difficult, you know, it was difficult for some white women, I think, to, um, to look at that and own that. Um, I don't know, was that any of, uh, you know, was was that something that that was kind of, you know, the bees buzzing in your bonnet too? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, you know, as as a white woman, concerns me what other white women are doing. And um, when I see, um, or for Roy Moore, you know, I wonder where that comes from. Um, and I when you look at the demographic. A lot of these white women who are voting this way are fundamentalist evangelical Christians. And that type of theology holds very, very strong values about what men's roles are and what women's roles are, and that women should be submissive to men. So even if the woman doesn't necessarily agree that she should vote for Donald Trump or Roy Moore, she's 
kind of has to yield to the the leader of her household, which is the man who definitely, you know, white men voted for Trump and Roy Moore greater in greater numbers than any other group. So you can see the influence of a version of Christianity that really, really prioritizes gender roles and the submissiveness of women um, in in electoral politics. You know, this is this is not a helpful version of Christianity, particularly when it's being used to justify the election of a pedophile. I mean, this is this is not what Christ would have wanted, I don't think. I mean, I, I left Catholicism a long time ago, but I don't think it's changed that much since I, I was gone. <laughs> No, I, I don't. Uh, I mean, I used to be a Catholic, and I don't. And I agree with you. I don't think this is what it was about at all. You know, and uh, and I really do think Christians are destroying their brand, so to speak. Um, uh-huh. I mean, the hypocrisy. It you know, it, it seems to me the hypocrisy of uh, evangelicals uh, is just b- becoming um, uh, so obvious uh, that uh, people just can't ignore it anymore. You know, it. And uh, I think it's. Uh, Go ahead. I think it's problematic um, in a governmental type of way um, because um, Liberty University, um, which was uh, a, a fundamentalist Christian um, evangelical university, I think it used to be Oral Roberts University, um, uh, when it became accredited and got a law school, um, then started churning out um, lawyers who were hired by the George W. Bush administration and now have networked themselves into um, positions in our government where they're using this fundamentalist evangelical Christian theology to legislate. And I would say one of the most disturbing things about this is a group of within the fundamentalist evangelical Christian movement um, that I've heard referred to as dominionists who believe that they can, if they can create a situation in the Middle East um, where there's instability, that they are creating the circumstance for the end times. And Ted Cruz, who is a senator from Texas and was one of our presidential nominees in the 2016 election subscribes to this. To me, that is incredibly dangerous that we have people who are influenced by their fundamentalist evangelical Christian theology who are attempting to use it theocratically to potentially create a third world war. Right. Well, and and you mentioned Dominionists, and I want to take this opportunity to please um, suggest to listeners, if you don't know about the Dominionists, please Google the Dominionists, because I believe there's like the seven uh, Dominionist mountains or something like that, and each mountain represents um, uh, an area in culture that they want to take over uh, to influence, to have control of. And, and, you know, they are dominionists. They want to dominate. They want the United States to be a theocracy. Um, they, uh, they are dangerous people. I have interviewed women who have escaped from the Quiverful movement, which is evangelicals, which is dominionists. And, um, 
you know, this is this is uh, Christian fundamentalism, you know, uh, and, and and I would almost go so far as to say it's a fine line between uh, maybe some of the things they want to do and see happen, like you're talking about, Leah, you know, bringing on the end times. Um, I mean, that's, uh, you know, that's catastrophic. I mean, how can that not be seen as terrorism? I mean, I don't know that I'm going too far suggesting the T word, you know. Um, I mean, if they want to promote instability to bring about this, you know, the second coming of Jesus, uh, you know, I mean that uh, that that's dangerous. And I and I and I think Pence is also a dominionist. I believe I mean, there's so. there's a lot of. Yeah, there's a lot of Republic, right-wing Republicans who are actually Dominionists, and I'm sure it's easy enough to Google. Uh, but, I, yeah, I do know Ted Cruz was one of them. His father said uh, that, you know, Ted was supposed to be the chosen one or something. Um, anyway, that's uh, – you know that that that's for a whole nother show, Dominionism. But, um, it, but but you know, getting back to this idea of uh, of what's wrong with women, so to speak. Um, you know, because look, I'm all for women. You know, but I'm also someone who feels like it's important to recognize that you know women need to get their shit together too. You know, and just because you're a woman, just because we share the same you know uh, body parts, it doesn't mean we have the same uh, agendas in our mind, uh, you know, meaning uh, equality, justice for all, and, uh, and, and that sort of thing. You know, women promote female genital mutilation, for heaven's sakes. They keep that yeah. going. They keep, keep patriarchal religion going. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, they keep a lot of things going that really uh, would be better off if it died away. And, uh and so I, I guess, um, you know, I, I wanted to sort of just harken back to to, la- to uh, the show I had at the very end of December with Carol Christ and Miriam Robbins-Dexter just very briefly to connect the dots between that show and this show a little bit uh, because the show was about Maria Gimbutas' work being vindicated. And, um, and it's the idea that if, um, if and when – it becomes more mainstream to um, understand goddess spirituality and know that there was a time when goddess was at the center of the world. You understand that women had had a religion then. You know, now women Mm -hmm. don't have a religion. Women are subservient to man's religion, to uh, the male god. And I thought the quote... Uh, by Simone de Beauvoir was so relevant, Uh, and I don't have a date on this, um, but it explains um, why Maria's work was so important, because it gave women a religion, it gave women the religion of a feminine face of God to offset this patriarchal domination. And And this quote of hers, I'm about to read it, it also explains why women... Um, lean toward siding with their oppressors um, rather than siding with, um, uh, you know, the, the common good, so to speak. You know, uh, this sort of explains the, the woman who voted for Trump or the woman who voted for Roy Moore. And I'll just, um, 
I'll, I'll just read this quote, and Leah, if you have any comments about it after. Uh, Simone de Beauvoir said, Women lack concrete means for organizing themselves into a unit which can stand face-to-face with the correlative unit. They have no past, no history, no religion of their own, and they have no such solidarity of work and interest as that of the proletariat. They live dispersed among the males, attached through residence, housework, economic condition and social standing to certain men fathers or husbands more firmly than they are to other women. If they belong to the bourgeoisie, they feel solidarity with men of that class, not with the proletariat women. If they or white, their allegiance is to white men, not Negro women. The bond that unites her to her oppressors is not comparable to any other. And that that explains intersectionality. It explains why I think, um, you know, why we don't see, uh, even though women are 52% of the population, why we can't stick together to um, make the things happen that we need to see happen in the world to make it a better place. Mm-hmm. Well, and the bond that women and men share often is a bond shared in bed. And that's... True. That is a a very powerful place to share. Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, what this quote is saying, you know, that women are going to side with their class, um, you know, uh, before they may necessarily side with other women, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, You know, they're going to do what their husbands or their fathers want them to do rather than maybe do what's right for themselves. Um, Well, and, and, you know, I I think – Go ahead. I think that women have been um, told that the male God is divine and that there is no divinity within them, right? And according to the Christian story of Genesis, um, God makes man and then from man makes woman. Where is the divinity of woman but from man, then from God? Goddess spirituality, I think, is is the thing that that really changed things for me. Um, to value my own sacred feminine divine, that part of myself, which which is where life comes from. I mean, this isn't it's it's not like making breakfast. You know, this is, to create life is is part of of the sacred flame, you know, to honor that within myself, I think makes me able to make different choices. I think that women without that, that internal um, sacred value of themselves can't necessarily see it and, and don't have access to the, the power that comes from it. You know, I, I think that's a real important point uh, to remember, Leah. Thank you. Thank you for that. That That's really awesome because, you know, you think about the idea that, you know, if women feel less than, 
um, then how are they going to speak out? I mean, that's sort of a great segue to the Time's Up and the Me Too movement, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, if women had felt valued, if women felt they were equal to men, if they were also in the image of God, if they were divine, would they allow themselves to be marginalized, subjugated, uh, you know, take, uh, you know, less pay for equal work? Uh, I mean, look, let's say and I don't mean to be crude here, but how many men believe that a woman's vagina is just something for their pleasure and they don't take it seriously when a woman's raped because, gee, that's what that thing's for, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, or, 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 the, or the men who have said and still believe a woman's womb is just, a, you know, an incubator for the male seed um, that, that, that takes all of the sacredness of the woman as life giver away. And, and we all see of her so many Yes, and, and, and that, I mean, it's a strategy, you know, and I'm not sure everybody realizes that it's a strategy, but, if, but it, it effectively it becomes a strategy. I mean, uh, I, I, I think it was Charlene Spretnak who said the Garden of Eden myth was one of the first pieces of political propaganda. And, <laughs> you know, I, I never thought of it like that until I heard her say it, but now I believe it with my heart and soul because look at look at what it has done to elevate men above women and create this this culture, this narrative that allows that that um, uh, that allows women or um, not maybe allows isn't the right word, but but sort of encourages women to accept all of this. You know, into you know, to whether it whether it's voting against their economic interest or being quiet about being raped, um, or uh, I mean, and look, and men have had a number done on them too. You know, they are victims of this propaganda as well. But you know, all of this is tied in together. You know, um, this this all this all uh, fits in this 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 big conversation. Um, I, I think of, of activism and changing the world and who has the moral high ground. Yeah. Um, uh, I have a, a, a book that Jimmy Carter has written recently, um, and um, in it he talks about the world's religions and what's going on with the world. And one of the things that he says is that in all of the world's major religions, they have texts that both exalt and oppress women, and they choose to use the texts that oppress women in all of the world's major religions. It's, it's so frustrating that we have the tools to, to create a world where all of us are empowered, which does, when women are empowered, it helps women, children, and men, um, but some men have to give up some power in order to create that world, and those men are disinterested in that as an option. Well, and and I think they're they're not only you know white men are not only uh, uninterested in sharing power with women, but I think that's why we're seeing so much racism, so much anti-immigrant stuff too, because they've been on top for so long. You know, they haven't learned to share. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, um, <laughs> and they don't want a level playing field out there. 
You know, they really mm-hmm. don't. And um, and and sometimes I feel like, um, you know, sometimes I feel sorry. And, you know, uh, if I'm, sometimes I'll have a compassionate day. And I do feel sorry for the men, uh, some men, let me put it that way. Because mm-hmm. I think of, uh, like, like with the Me Too movement, you know, and the Time's Up movement. Look, I know I'm married to a man who grew up around women. And he doesn't have a problem relating to women, communicating with women respecting women but I know there were men who didn't grow up in such close proximity to women and don't really know how to interact with women so maybe they're the awkward one they're the boorish ones they're the ones that say and do stupid things and you know the me too movement um uh, you know, it gives me a li- you know gives me a little bit of pause because it uh, it feels like we're lumping everybody into the same barrel. You know, we're the we're the boorish oaf that I just described. Um, it you know somehow I think he gets lumped with the Weinstein guy. You know, it's like they're mm-hmm. all the same. They're all no they're all no good, and uh, that that's just uh, I I think that could come back. Uh, as a a backlash and maybe hurt us. Uh, I I don't know. Have you thought about that at all? Oh, gosh, yeah. And it's it's such a a thorny issue because who who among us as women hasn't had their butt smacked by some guy they didn't know or, you know, was referred to in a way that was sexually demeaning? You know, that – happens to all of us and some of us more often than others. Um, But that's a problem. Uh, A society that accepts those things is a society, a society that is also accepting of the boss that says, if you want a promotion, you have to have sex with me or the police officer who takes advantage of his position to sexually assault um, women. It's all on the spectrum it all needs to be called out. And I think that there's a lot of guys that don't understand that, you know, women don't necessarily want to hear them tell a dirty joke. You know, that's, that's the beginning of the behavior spectrum that leads to Harvey Weinstein's of the world. But we have true, to be able true. to respond appropriately to when things are happening. And I think responding at all has been something that, you know, has been not only severely discouraged, but also women who do respond get minimized. Um, True. I'm working right yeah. now with um, the a bunch of girls who are survivors of Dr. Larry Nasser, who um, was a, a doctor for the USA Gymnastics team um, who sexually abused Olympic gymnasts, um, who then went on to work at Michigan State University Um, sexually abusing um, people, girls who had uh, seen him at the medical school there. And there was a long record of people reporting, of girls reporting this guy as being sexually abusive to them. And they were all minimized and they were all swept under the rug and they were all told, oh, you don't really know what you're thinking and feeling. You know, when those are the kinds of responses that we get when we do speak up, it makes it so hard to confront anyone about anything when something is clearly wrong and you're being told that you're overreacting. Well, you know, it reminds me of the Bernie supporters who uh, got gaslighted uh, during the convention, you know, 
Uh, it, mm-hmm. in, in a way, it's kind of a it's kind of a form of gaslighting, and I know how pissed off that made me. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I mean it, it, it. But you know, but it's it, but it's so important that we make the punishment fit the crime too. You know, um, like I, I I mean I think about losing. Um, Oh, the senator, Al Franken. Al Franken. You know, um, you know, Al Franken, I mean, look, you know, the president is still in the White House, and how many women has he had come up, you know, say things, uh, 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 you know, that he's done? And, and I mean, it's like, mm-hmm. like the Republicans never seem, uh, you know, to have any shame. They never back down. And, you know, the, the left, they're always ready to fall on their sword. You know, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. It, it it that that bugs me too. <laughs> the right is also um, ready I, for I, the left to fall on their sword. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's like we're conditioned to fall on on our sword. Um, I mean, I Anthony Weiner, for instance. You know, um, look, he the, the stuff he did, but compared to some of the stuff some of the Republicans did and stayed in office and got away with it, I mean there right, needs right. to be. Uh, you know, uh, you know, uh, equal uh, equal justice. You know, across the board, what's good for one should be good uh, for the other. You know, why should we always be? Why should we always lose out? Um, I, I know we want to take the high ground. It's the moral high ground, uh, yeah. You know, but but uh, I don't know. Sometimes it, it feels like it really works to our disadvantage. We do, haven't figured out how to use it to our advantage. Uh, maybe maybe that's it. You know, I'm I'm not sure about that, but uh, you know, just no, some I, things I think I've there's been something there. About. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. And you know, it, it does feel like Al Franken took one for the team. Yeah, and I mean, and I read that he took one to the t- took one for the team so that the Democrats could, uh, you know, apply pressure to Trump and demand that Trump step down, mm-hmm. but. I, I don't know. Maybe uh, it's just not being covered in the news media, but I don't see that happening. And right, you know, right. here we're going to lose Al, Al, Al Franken, and what did we get for it? You know, right? And I don't, the, I don't want to minimize the, anything that happened to the women who have said that Al Franken was inappropriate with them um, by saying that Al Franken is taking one for the team. But I would say that yes, there are people who have done much worse who should definitely be held accountable and his being removed from office is is probably not the most equitable way to resolve this specific issue. Yeah, because I remember he wanted to, um, you know, he he wanted to have the charges investigated, you know, Mm -hmm. and it quickly moved from, yeah, let's investigate the charges to, okay, I quit. You know, right, and right. um, and and I and I wonder if that was the smart thing to do. You know, why yeah, not we let all have it? Due you process? know, yes, exactly. Because maybe, just maybe, a couple of these people who are being accused of things, it might not be a hundred percent true. You know. Um, or, or, or it may be a misunderstanding, uh, you know, because, you know, women are human beings. You know, there could be, uh, you know, women scorned, vengeance. Uh, you know, you, you just never know. Um, I, and, and I worry about that backlash, too, you know, that, 
you know, anytime anybody accuses anybody of anything, um, we're going to rush to judgment and, and uh, you know, and, and they're going to be guilty before proving guilty. And that's, that doesn't seem right either. Yeah, I agree. And and I would say one of the huge downsides that comes along with all that is finding out that someone has been falsely accused because it is that one false accuser that destroys the credibility of every other true accuser, which then how did, it's difficult to come back from. Yeah, yeah, I think so. And, and, and I mean, I can understand. I, I mean, I love to see what happened on the Golden Globes. Um, uh, you know, I especially loved when I heard the women say they wanted to sp- support one another and not compete with one another. Uh, you know, I've been waiting to hear that mm-hmm. for decades. Um, <laughs> and, I, and, I, and, and, you know, and I loved it all. But, you know, it's still, you know, it, it worries me just a little bit, you know, that we, that we have to be smart about this and not get swept away and carried away and somehow shoot ourselves in the foot um, and, and, and damage the movement, um, you know, somehow, you know, with, with some false accusations. Like, uh, mm-hmm. Because, I mean, there were people saying that, um, uh, you know, that uh, Al Franken was set up by the right. You know that one of the, one of these women's women was coached and set up by the right to take him down. Now I don't know mm-hmm. if that was if that was true. You know I I was not in the frame of mind to uh, be able to sink my teeth into it and dig deep. I was you know it it, it was all just too much. Uh, but it was incredible watching all of these men drop like flies. Um, mm-hmm. I, I mean some of them some of them surprised me. I mean like Charlie Rose. Um, but mm-hmm. you know, it's it's that power corrupts, you know, right. uh, and you well, know and these rich, men powerful just men sexually entitled. Some men just feel like that's okay for them, you know. In in the everyday world, there are guys who you know are sexually harassing their coworkers at work today, you know. Yeah, yeah, um, and and you know, and and I think maybe this disturbs. Um, some of the less evolved men, I mean, I don't know how this is going to sound, but I'll, I'll try to language it. Um, I, I think this means that men are going to have to try harder, you know, uh, that mm-hmm. women are going to raise the bar, and, you know, women aren't going to tolerate so much. Uh, maybe fewer women are going to stay in bad marriages, uh, and especially if we could manage to get equal pay and get the mm-hmm. minimum wage raised to twelve or fifteen dollars an hour, women wouldn't have Basic to stay income. in bad marriages. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I mean, and, and that that forces men to evolve and be better human beings. Um, yeah. yeah, I kind of see uh, men, and, certain men defending the status quo because they're afraid. They see other men being called out and think, that could be me, and they don't want that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, um, I don't. Did did we kind of go far afield here, or um, (laughs) I mean, it feels like this is all connected to me. Yeah, I I don't think we're far afield. I think it's an enormous topic that really covers so much because you know, really, if we if we bring this all back to you know what what we were talking about, spiritual spirituality and and magical activism and the moral high ground you know when it comes to the world we live in where sexual entitlement by men is seen as 
a given and unquestioned by either men or women, we've decided that, and, and that's in the United States, a, princi a principle that came through Christianity. We have decided that that's no longer acceptable. And people who are coming from another perspective, um, goddess-oriented people, earth-centered spirituality people, um, people who believe that the earth is our mother and we must take care of her and that there is a sacred feminine divine. We're speaking out. We're changing the conversation. And our magical activism is us not only having the intention, but putting our energy, both our spiritual energy and our activist energy, into creating, into manifesting the world we want to live in. Well said, well said. Um, Leah, we're going to take a quick commercial break. Um, I have a word from Joe Carson uh, I want to share with listeners. And while, uh, while this commercial is running, why don't you think about uh, what else you want to share with listeners about this topic uh, that you know, maybe we haven't, um, we haven't gone there yet? How does that sound? Okay. Sure, good. Okay, okay. So uh, here we go, a word from Joe Carson. Most people see humankind as really separate from nature and separate from the earth. I'm as much of this earth as a rock or a tree. And I came out of it. This is my mother planet. I grew out of this earth. As long as we of divinity is above us or outside of us, or that our bodies are somehow less divine than spirit, there's no way that we can change our course. Well, that was a word uh, from Joe Carson. Uh, and her uh, wonderful book, uh, Dancing with Gaia. And uh, if you uh, didn't have a chance to check that out uh, for maybe your holiday gift giving, uh, I think it's really important that uh, uh, you maybe look at that uh, and maybe have it in your, um, in your library because that is definitely uh, one of those that... Um, I, I think whether you're new to all of this or um, uh, or whether you've been doing this for a while, uh, there's so much uh, that uh, that Joe uh, has in that uh, that documentary that you you won't want to miss it. Um, uh, she has uh, 15 visionaries and teachers talking about earth energy, sacred sexuality, uh, the return of the goddesses Gaia. Uh, she traveled to ancient sacred sites all over Europe and the Mediterranean to shoot the film. Uh, and these spiritual sites, uh, they range from northern Scotland to central Turkey. You know, they, they profoundly affected the origins of Western culture. So if you've wanted to see them but you haven't, uh, if you don't think you're ever going to get that uh, uh, passport and get out there with boots on the ground, uh, this is an opportunity to experience uh, some of the best 
places and uh, get their story. Uh, and the DVD uh, comes packaged with a 45-page uh, color mini book, which goes even deeper into the material. And you can get the DVD and the booklet for only $20 at uh, dancingwithgaia.com. And that is a deal, guys. That is a real uh, deal, guys and gals. Um, so, Leah, um, were there any other points that you felt, um, you know, you wanted to make maybe about, uh, the topic that we haven't really explored yet? Um, I guess there's two, uh, things that I'd like to, to say. Um, one is while activist ritual is great and it's important that we're participating in nonprofit single issue things that really make us um, feel uh, good about participating uh, in our communities in a, a activist type of way. Some of us need to choose to run for office. It is imperative that some of us choose while it is uncomfortable and not necessarily the best space to occupy to to get into the fray, to run for office, to get elected to positions, because we can't make the system that we want without getting into the system we have. And that's what's going to be what allows us to change that. Um, so I would really love to encourage anybody who is hearing this message who thinks, maybe I can do this, to absolutely do it, to figure out what you need to do it. Um, there's online resources um, to help you work out what your campaign might be. Um, if you're a woman, there's a website called sheshouldrun.org um, that will help you be a candidate. Um, if you're a female Democrat in certain states in the United States, there's a um, candidate program, uh, training program called Emerge. Um, most labor um, organizations have a labor candidate school. So there's lots of options to get um, trained up um, and supported uh, if you do feel that one of the ways that you could make a magical impact on this world is through the creation of legislation. Um, another thing that I wanted to say is that well, wait, 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 before you go oh, there, sure. uh, wait, 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 yeah. before you go there, aren't you, didn't, haven't you decided to run for office? I have decided to run for office, yes. Um, I'm, there is, the, the office that I would like to run for won't be up until 2020, so I'm uh, still doing my um, background work on that, but um, definitely when it comes time to run, that's, that's my plan, to get involved um, at the local level, um, to do things that I see um, from a goddess perspective, from a, a Wiccan perspective, to, to change my community for the better in ways that people just aren't really looking at or thinking about right now. So for people who say, Leah, are you independently wealthy? Where are you going to get the money to run? Um, how, do you, how, do, how does an average person find the money to run? Well, um, there's a variety of things. I'm, as, as a Bernie folk, I'm not as focused about the money. Um, and as a grassroots activist, I have created um, and fostered a group of people that still meets to this day um, back from the, the Bernie primary time um, that uh, does work for uh, grassroots progressive causes and candidates that we support. Um, and 
I hope to be endorsed by my organization, which will then allow me to have phone makers and canvassers working for me. Um, My organization is um, an affiliate of Our Revolution, which is a national organization that sprang out of the Bernie Sanders grassroots movement. Um, So even if uh, you're not in Portland, Oregon, um, but you are a progressive grassroots candidate, um, you can seek out an Our Revolution branch uh, in your area uh, to get endorsed by Our Revolution. And then similar Uh, resources are available to you that way, and they will do fundraising for candidates that they endorse as well. Okay. All Um, right. Thank you for that. When it comes to my own, you're welcome. When it comes to my own money raising, um, I'm definitely going the Bernie Sanders route. I found out that the race that I'm interested in doesn't have a very high threshold for fundraising. So I think that between um, the wide variety of communities I am networked in, um, and the help that I'll be able to get from phone banking and canvassing, um, I, I think that I'll be able to get the access to the resources that I need to run. Um, a lot of times for these local offices, um, the barrier to entry financially is quite low. Really? Okay. Well, that, you know, that's good to know uh, because I, my, for myself, you know, I, I thought, um, you know, everybody had to be rich to run for office. Um, so well, that's definitely the, the, you, you know, you're here. an inspiration. <laughs> <laughs> and a, a lot of these positions, too, are unpaid, so it makes it very difficult for people who aren't incredibly passionate or rich to run for them. Um, the school board races here in Portland, unpaid positions. Um, however, uh, you know, you do have to spend some money in order to get elected. So. And you have Sarah to look at those lab. as steps. Ste- stepping stones to bigger things. Generally they are, yes, unless you are a passionate devotee to the idea of your public school and, and making it the best that it can be, and that, that's what you see okay. as your, your life mission. Okay. And, and what was the, the second thing you wanted to, um, to mention? Oh, that um, while it was wonderful that we really got into it with this conversation, um, and, and that it's good to be aware of what's going on in the world. Um, for mental health reasons, it is also important to turn it off, to turn off the news, to give yourself a news blackout, to, to give yourself space away from the things that frustrate you so that you can come back to them with renewed energy instead of constantly being depleted, um, to maybe incorporate Meditation, even three to five minutes a day of mindfulness practice can make a huge difference. And that when you read things that make you angry, use that as the seed of activism. Turn your anger into activism to make yourself feel better about something that probably feels overwhelming and unable to change. So to make a phone call or to write a letter or to donate $27 to a candidate or an issue that you think is important, to offer to do phone banking, you know, or canvassing, any of these ways to to get involved, to turn your anger into activism to is is the type of of transformational change that, that does you good and does good for the world. 
And, yeah, that's important because uh, whatever our passion is, we can't afford to let ourselves uh, be uh, suffer burnout because then uh, uh, we're not doing ourselves any good or our cause. Right. Self-care is so um, important. So um, I, I guess the one last thing I wanted to ask, uh, you know, we, we probably talked about this the last time you were here. I know uh, probably last January I talked about it with uh, different guests because we were getting ready to launch uh, my last anthology, uh, which was Goddess 2.0, uh, which the whole point was, you know, trying to get uh, goddess-oriented people to, you know, go beyond just doing rituals and Wheel of the Year stuff and, you know, start to think about uh, – um, you know, how sacred feminine liberation theology is actually the values, um, you know, that can, you know, help us change the world. And we talked then about, uh, you know, different websites we can go to uh, if we want to, uh, you know, be active and do things. Do you, do you have some favorites that, um, you know, that, that you go to when you're feeling like you want to get involved and do something and, uh, you know, so that you don't feel like you're a drop in the bucket, you know, maybe you're, um, you know, uh, joining with thousands of other people who are uh, like the postcard campaign. I remember we did for Trump, uh, I think it was last January. Um, Do you, you know, where do you go for your, your activist uh, actions? Um, that is definitely in my community at Bernie PDX. Um, it is so sustaining to me in, in that regard. Um, so I'm really grateful for that. Okay. And, uh, and, the, it, and I'm not thinking of the different websites uh, off the top of my head at the moment to be able to just uh, rattle them off, but if any listeners want to email me, um, I do have some handouts, uh, you know, in my computer files uh, that I'm happy to um, uh, send you to um, because, you know, these, these folks uh, have all sorts of activities uh, you know, that they keep going all during the year for different causes. I mean, and the Women's March is coming up January 20th. Um, so I, that's probably the next big thing on most people's agenda, I would uh, imagine. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, another, well, uh, uh, oh, I'm sorry, one more, one more tool that I um, found recently that I really like, and it's, on, um, it's an Android app, and I'm not sure if it's on um, – iPhone as well, but it's called Five Calls, um, and it's um, you install it, and then it just gives you a prompt. Um, it says, um, uh, "Make five calls about universal health care," and then um, you tap on it, and it says, um, "Universal health care is important for these reasons." You can call um, your senator; here's their number, or your other senator; here's their number, or um, the chair of the Department of Health and Human Services who is making an assessment on this, and here's their number. Um, so it's it's a pretty um, pretty easy activist thing to do, um, and random too. It's you know if you're if you're feeling like it today, but not feeling like it for two months, then it's it's always there for you. Yeah, well, I know I keep the name of uh, my local representatives and uh, uh, you know uh, uh, senators at the ready because if something comes up, 
that I either want to bitch about or encourage them to do, you know, I don't hesitate to pick up the phone and and offer my opinion or give them a piece of my mind, you know, with, whatever the case may be, you know. And mm-hmm. uh, I, I think that's uh, that's what we all should do because I remember when we were at a uh, a meeting, they said that uh, the right, uh, it, 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 you know, they were talking about statistics, and they say the right makes uh, phone calls to their uh, representative ten times more than the left does. And, you know, maybe that's what has, um, you know, allowed the left to become so corporatist and not, uh, you know, be looking out uh, for workers and, you know, not fighting harder to keep the, uh, you know, the the safety net uh, in place, you know. Uh, you mm-hmm. know, maybe we should have been, you know, we should have been nipping at their heels uh, more over the last uh, a couple decades because, you know, what the right has done has been a very, um, you know, long-range plan. I mean, I remember when Patrick McCullum, uh, an elder in the pagan community and, you know, very high profile and very vocal, uh, has been on the show a number of times. He was talking about here in California, uh, for instance, uh, we think we all have uh, freedom of religion. But the reality is there's religions come in two tiers, the tier one and the tier two religions. And paganism is in the tier two religion. We don't really have the same freedom of religion that the big three have and get because they're in the tier one. And, you know, and, and he was someone who was trying to advocate for uh, pagan prisoners, uh, you mm-hmm. know, and he also, I think, worked with Selena Fox to try to get, uh, you know, get it so that, uh, you know, uh, pagans who die in the military can get the symbol of their faith on their headstone. You know, that was mm-hmm. a big fight uh, because, oh, yeah. uh, you know, it, it wasn't recognized, um, you know, I guess as a real religion. So, you know, we assume we have things until we find out we don't. Mm-hmm. Um, and 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 I I think it's it's you know really important to um, uh, you know to recognize that uh, you know because the right has put judges and and local office and uh, state office and uh, I mean look what they've done to the you know to the Supreme Court you know they mm-hmm. have been stacked. They've been stacking the courts so they get rulings in their favor. And while we've all been asleep at the wheel, it seems like, you know, we Mm -hmm. just couldn't imagine that we still had to fight for these things. But, uh, I mean, you know, look, look, uh, you know, look at what, uh, uh, you know, the abortion clinics and Planned Parenthood is going through around the country. So, um, yeah, yeah, I mean, we're, we're, we're going to have to, uh, you know, get really busy and and shake things up. <laughs> Absolutely. It's a worthwhile yeah, yeah, I mean, it absolutely is. I mean, we can't uh, sit home on our couch and expect somebody else uh, to do it for us. If we really care about it, then, you know, we've got to put some energy in ourselves. Um, so anything else uh, before we say goodnight? Uh, no, I think that was it. 
Um, well, great. Um, I, I want to thank you so much, uh, you know, for coming on the show with this uh, with this uh, magical activism topic. Uh, I think it's important, and you know, as we uh, as we showed, it's a big subject and it's uh, really uh, wide ranging. And I believe you, uh, um, you know, had a lot of great suggestions. Um, you know, and it, it all, I, you know, it all comes down to, you know, having. Uh, spiritual courage, I think, uh, and and using our will, you know, focusing on what we uh, want to manifest in the world, you know, kind of like that, what I usually say at the end of the show, what we focus on, what we nurture, uh, well, it grows and thrives, and what we neglect, it withers, um, you know, so if we neglect our rights, if, you know, they, they will wither away and disappear. Mm-hmm. Well, okay. thank you so much for having um, me on tonight, Karen. It was a great conversation. And uh, I, I agree. And when uh, when there's new news, uh, please come back and uh, you know keep us apprised of uh, of what you're doing. You know what's happening over at the DNC. Uh, you know if we're making any progress, if we're losing ground. Um, you know, just give me a jingle, and I'm always happy to have you back on the show. Absolutely. All right. Thank you so much, Leah. Good night, and uh, have a great uh, uh, Bridget and Candlemas, and, uh, you know, uh, wish you the best to manifest your New Year's resolutions. Thank you. You too. (laughs) Okay. All right. Good night. Um, Well, turning our attention uh, to uh, another work um, of uh, Joe Carson tonight, uh, I wanted to just tell you about another of her new books, and it is called uh, Celebrate Wildness. And there was a great uh, review by Dana Corby in her blog, The Rant and Raven, about uh, Joe Carson's book, Celebrate Wildness, uh, and I want to share that with you. Uh, Dana Corby wrote, uh, and I quote, When people wonder aloud how the Wicca of Southern California became so much more nature-oriented and wild than the British traditions from which it arose, the one factor they don't take into account but should is feriferia. Feriferia, a word Fred Adams coined from Greek roots meaning wilderness festival, is a pagan tradition unlike any other. Based on Fred's visions of the divine feminine, the sacredness of eros, and the potential for intentional communities that truly do no harm to anything, it also draws upon themes familiar to Wiccans, such as sacred landscapes, prehistoric beliefs, and the fairy faith. Fred intended that Feriferia should lead the world into a paradisal future in which freedom, eros, and play are the core values, where that built by human hands merges seamlessly into the wild and the fae romp among us. Celebrate Wildness is a unique, exquisite, and profound book. It created in me a sort of homesickness, Dana says, a wistfulness for the idealist she was. We all were back when we and the world and the magic were all young and fresh. Um, So the book, uh, Celebrate Wildness, it's uh, only 115 pages, but they are filled with art. Uh, You shouldn't expect to read it quickly. You should take your time and let it sink into your subconscious. And as Dana says, what bobs to the surface will be wondrous. 
Uh, Celebrate Wildness is an oversized, hardbound book on heavy paper, and it's available for $45 from ferraferia.org. And that's F-E-R-A-F-E-R-I-A.org. And uh, for those of you uh, who might remember um, Laura Perry, uh, she comes on the show and uh, she has talked about reconstructing uh, Minoan uh, spirituality. Um, I have a little 60-second spot here from her I want to play for you, but I want to tell you she is going to be back uh, very soon. She'll be with me in the spring uh, because there's lots more to report on what's going on in the, I guess you'd call it the neo uh, Minoan communities um, and spirituality. Uh, so here's a word from Laura Perry. The Minoans of ancient Crete, an egalitarian society where women were honored, where the sacred feminine was revered, where peace and prosperity reigned for centuries. Hi, I'm Laura Perry, and I'd love to help bring the ancient Minoans to life for you. Explore Minoan spirituality with my books, Labrys and Horns, and Ariadne's Thread. Embrace your creative side with the Minoan Coloring Book. And discover the wonders of divination with the Minoan Tarot. You'll find all these at Amazon and other good online and local bookstores. Find out more on my website, lauraperryauthor.com. Uh, hearing Laura talk about egalitarian societies and, uh, of course, with what uh, Leah and I were talking about uh, tonight, uh, it jogged my memory. I wanted to share with listeners uh, something that happened um, to me on Sunday. Um, we have an interfaith church uh, not too far from where I live, and uh, my husband and I decided to check it out uh, because we sort of belong to it peripherally. They have a discussion group that happens once a month, and uh, we go to that and talk about, uh, you know, topics that, um, you know, they might be spiritual, political, cultural, whatever. Um, And we've been saying, you know, we like the people so much, we should maybe check out the church since it was an interfaith church. Um, Well, uh, they they had a wonderful service, and as part of the service, Uh, they have something called sharing the bread. And apparently that's when they allow someone from the community to come up and uh, share some thoughts or a a short story or something along those lines. So a woman stepped up and read a column that she wrote in a local communist newspaper. Yes, I did say communist newspaper. Um, and uh, she started uh, chatting about the, you know, the Me Too movement. Uh, but where the egalitarian society comments came from her were, uh, she talked about uh, pre-patriarchal societies being egalitarian and how 
all, that egalitarianism went out the window uh, when we started owning property and we had to prove paternity rights and all of that. And I have to tell you, I sort of sat there dumbfounded for a moment because, of course, this is stuff we talk about in the goddess community and the pagan community and the feminist community, but I had never really heard it in the context um, of uh, of communism, or from someone who was a um, you know an avowed communist. And uh, anyway, I went up and talked to her afterwards, and you know told her I it, it it felt so good to hear her talk about these egalitarian societies because uh, you know too often I think people out in the mainstream world think it's always been patriarchal. There's never been anything else, and nothing else is is possible. But it reminded me uh, that uh, you, 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 for my regular listeners, you might have heard me uh, talk about a writer that I discovered recently by the name of Eric Fromm. Uh, well, he is a was he passed away in the 80s. He was a German um, psychologist, and he talked about the art of being versus the art of having. Um, You've maybe heard me talk about that. But the point where I'm going with this is he connected nature and goddess with communism and socialism because of their uh, concern for the common good, because of their concern for the equality of women, because of their concern for uh, the proper use of natural resources versus capitalism, which was connected to Christianity. So anyway, uh, I I just find this all fascinating, and maybe some of my listeners out there have known this for a very long time, Uh, but forgive me, these are new connections for me, and uh, I find them uh, very interesting. Uh, But they totally make sense, Um, you know, when you think about uh, the idea of sacred feminine liberation theology is about equality and the common good rather than this dominator pyramid that we have with the, you know, the rich, the 1% at the top, uh, the corporations at the top, you know, calling all the shots while we, you know, scrape for the crumbs at the bottom of the heap. Um, so anyway, I wanted to share that. And um, if anyone's uh, interested in this, um, uh, maybe I'll read her column uh, on the show in the coming weeks, or or pick up uh, Eric Fromm and uh, you know read more of what uh, uh, what he says about that. Because uh, you know I know for a fact you know having interviewed Richard Wolff on the show, he's a socialist economist. Um, you know he said Americans really aren't uh, uh, too aware of the benefits of any economic system except capitalism. You know, we have been sold a bill of goods about it is the best way and the only way and everything else is evil. When, you know, we could be cherry-picking the best out of all of these systems and putting it together to create a better system for us all. You know, because all systems can be flawed, all systems can be manipulated, um, uh, but if we cherry-pick the best ideas, uh, you know, from these these different economic systems, then... um, you know, I think we have the best chance of coming up with something well-rounded that, um, you know, uh, can maybe uh, serve the majority of us instead of 
uh, just the few of us. And, um, you know, that's what I think this is all about. It's about the we and the us. It's not about the I and the me. So, all right. Well, uh, that about does it uh, for me tonight, uh, listeners. Uh, I will be back with you uh, on the 17th. Um, I have as my guest uh, Dave uh, Markowitz, and uh, I'm trying to see if I can uh, put my hands on what our topic is. Uh, Yeah, here it is. Um, Let's see. Uh, Oh, yeah, we are going to be talking about uh, empaths and highly sensitive uh, persons, and um, uh, he's an emp- uh, uh, David Markowitz is an empath and an HSP, and um, we're going to be talking about self-care for the self-aware. And uh, you know, we've uh, Leah has touched a little bit uh, uh, on that tonight, and so have I at the opening of the show uh, that we do have to be taking care of ourselves. Uh, but in particular, if you are highly sensitive. Um, you know, you really have to take extra special care. So I think that'll be an, an interesting show, especially for those of us who work with energetics and, um, you know, are tuned in to these other levels of our consciousness. All right, so I am going to uh, close the show tonight uh, with some activist chants uh, by the Reclaiming Folks. Uh, the the reclaiming campfire chants, uh, which I love so much. Uh, these are all uh, used at uh, activist training and uh, activist uh, workshops and things. And uh, one of my favorites uh, is um, uh, called uh, Weave and Spin. Uh, that is how the work begins. So... Uh, As I close tonight's show, I hope you will enjoy uh, Reclaiming's Weave and Spin. And please uh, come back to me next Wednesday, and I hope you'll hit the follow button so you get notice of uh, uh, the shows uh, that I have for you every week. And I hope you will also share the links with your friends uh, so that more people can hear Uh, what we talk about, uh, because the more people learn about it, uh, the quicker these ideas become uh, mainstream, the quicker we change the world. Okay, here's Weave and Spin by those reclaiming folks. Good night. Yeah.